everybody. How you doing? Chad here. Hope you are well. Today's a cool day because Ryan Chartrand and I are dropping a video together. Ryan is a former law enforcement officer in Massachusetts. We connected on LinkedIn. We are the same kind of guy, and uh, our conversations and our relationship has grown quickly. And it's uh, you know it's been easy because him and I see eye to eye on things. And Ryan left law enforcement and got into the financial services sector. Uh, I left and became an entrepreneur. So we really wanted to start collaborating, making content together, and we're going to do that. We're going to make videos and do interviews and have guests on. We're really going to get into the weeds on topics that could really help uh, first responders, law enforcement officers that are thinking about transitioning from law enforcement into business or the private sector or anything. Uh, we're here to help and hopefully lay a framework, groundwork. We've walked that path and uh, help everybody transition and and, uh, and get back to feeling happy and purposeful and fulfilled. So we're gonna have a lot of fun. Today's the first interview Ryan and I did together and we're excited and hopefully this is the first of many more. So let's do it. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Nothing much. So just a little background for everyone listening out there or watching. Um, Chad and I met through the LinkedIn platform and we met through our network there. Um, we have very similar backgrounds and we have, I, I guess, similar uh, current statuses too in, in what we're doing out there and everything. So we connected there. We thought it would be great to um, up on have a conversation so we did that and uh we connected that way and then at the end we said boy we should have uh recorded that conversation that was a great conversation so we figured we'd uh hop on again and um kind of do a recording this time we're not gonna uh we're not gonna redo our conversation or anything like that we're just gonna have it go naturally like we did before and kind of touch on some of the same subjects to uh to see what y'all think and uh yeah, so yeah. Chad, you know what's what's your background, man? Tell us, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. First, I, this is awesome how we connected, and we're going to do this because I, I, the reason that we're doing this is we feel the passion to help other law enforcement officers, other possibly first responders uh, that are thinking of transitioning out of the profession, and something we both just did recently, and it, it's been cool to connect with you because we do have the same background, but also the same experience in leaving law enforcement. So. I think it's a great idea we're doing this to, to help to help others and we can kind of walk and trailblaze for others and maybe do things we didn't do or, or do things we did do. I don't know, but um, it's kind of cool because I didn't meet so many people on LinkedIn and, and social media that are like us that not a lot of them out there, but that were former law enforcement left recently to get into business or whatever they're doing. And uh, it's been pretty cool. Absolutely. And it makes me realize, right, that we can do it. Like there is this fear that consumes us because I think we come into law enforcement and we think you get paid every two weeks, compensation package is great, benefits are awesome, pension, uh, it's a great job, it's very rewarding, giving back to the community, serving the community. You just are in this mindset that this is all I'm going to do or I'm all capable of doing and there's so much more that we're able to do and this is a reminder of if you love what you do and the goal is, in my opinion, the goal is to make it all 25 years a full career. But Absolutely. it doesn't mean everybody does. And you might be finding yourself in 12, 13, 14 years, kind of like I was in your 
thinking I'm ready to leave. I'm ready to try something new for whatever the reason the motivations were. Uh, I want to do something totally different. And we're in this construct of, eh, you might not make it or it might not work out for you, but it's, it's all fears and insecurities that feed it because really we are determiners of our success and our future and where we go. So um, yeah, about me, Ry, I'm uh, did 13 years in law enforcement in suburban Philadelphia, just, just North of Philadelphia, uh, you know, did patrol, promoted to detectives, did undercover narcotics for a couple of years. Uh, towards the end, finished uh, doing kind of major crimes, violent person crimes. And um, but, you know, being a detective at, a, at an agency, you know, not in a city, you know, you're doing you're doing every kind of case. So um, and then uh, when I was approaching my 12th year, I kind of hit it, hit a roadblock. Um, and that roadblock kind of that some obstacles, personal challenges, whatever you want to say, both internal and external set me down a road of looking to leave uh, law enforcement, which I did. And now I own a, a company, uh, it's Intercounty Investigations and Solutions. We're a PI firm in Pennsylvania. We specialize in pre-employment background screens for municipal government and private industry. Before law enforcement, I was in the military for eight years with the U.S. Army Infantry. And I went in 98, uh, just graduated high school at 17 years old. And it's funny, at 17, I thought I was a man. Looking back on it, man, I didn't know anything about the world. Who does? No kidding, huh? <laughs> crazy, right? So I did that for eight years, uh, served in Iraq, served a combat tour in Iraq, got out in 06, and then went into the police academy in 07. So pretty much for the last 21 years, I was carrying a rifle, carrying a gun. And uh, so that was part of my decision-making process to leaving to leaving the job and, and doing something different. How about you, brother? Absolutely. I, I just want to say, you know, about what you mentioned and that, you know, I know I, for one, you know, when I was just connected with people in my immediate local area and I was, you know, thinking about leaving and everything, I felt like I was alone. And I didn't realize that there were so many people out there like us that were in similar situations that took the action, that decided that they were going to move on, they were going to find something better, and were doing that. And it's, it's been awesome to meet people like you out there that are in the process of doing that and, and, you know, work towards what we want to do is build a community of all of those people to come together and support one another. But totally, totally. You know, similar, similar to you, I, uh, I graduated college in 2003 and I started as a police officer right at the same time. So I I was actually, I, I started in my hometown of in Massachusetts and back then, it was a while back, and they actually would let you work patrol shifts on a part-time basis to fill in when the full-timers weren't available. Nice. And it was, it was right after 9-11. I would say if I, you know, when I graduated high school, if you wanted to be a police officer here, the thing was to go and get a college degree. They always wanted college degrees, and that's what I did. After 9-11, again, that changed. They wanted military veterans again. So when 9-11 happened, I was almost done with college. I was in the process of of uh, entering the police department already, or else I probably would have ended up going to the, the service and taking that route. But I, I always like to tell the story of, you know, I was probably, I was uh, about 20, 22 years old, 23 years old in that ballpark. And I was starting and we had an old gruff police chief. He probably started his police career in the late sixties, if not, you know, early 70s at the latest old school. old school and oh he was old school all right <laughs> to the point where he gave me a badge and a gun he handed it to me and he said here you go sport it's sink or swim <laughs> and i went out on patrol and you, you know when, when you look back you think you know everything i think the first call i got 
I realized that I didn't know a damn thing. And I was like, oh, God, I'm in over my head here. (laughs) Yeah, I went along with it. Luckily, I didn't get myself or anyone else killed. And, uh, you know, you're for I was forced to grow up damn quick. Wow. Um, with that experience. But, you know, my my dream growing up was always it's all I ever wanted to do is be a police officer in my hometown. And um, unfortunately, it didn't work out because of staffing and layoffs. And the closer I got to a full time position, they started laying people off. So I ended up transferring to another police department where I worked for uh, 14 years on a full time basis. Um not the uh, not the I guess not the experience that, that you had, Chad, because I spent my time on patrol. I uh, did some work in traffic and accident reconstruction, but uh, we were a department of about uh, 40 if we could keep it at that. And, you know, it wasn't a lot of uh, besides getting promoted. There really wasn't a lot to uh, to do outside of patrol. So that's All what right. I spent the majority of my career doing. So, so what year did you leave? So I finished in 2020. Wow. And, um, you know, I'll just, it, it was it was tough because, you know, I didn't want people to think that I was leaving because of the political climate. It was right around the time of um, that the George Floyd incident happened. Yeah. And, um, you know, my last memory of working was when I got ordered in to work the uh, the protest. Wow. And, um, yep, as we were as as we were uh, working to protect all of the protesters, they were yelling F the police in our faces. And it was just uh very ironic and um yeah just you shake your head at that you don't you don't know what to think you know and so yeah i had actually written down in my journal in 2019 i gave myself a one-year date and i said july 20th 2020 is going to be my last day i wrote that in my journal in uh in 2019 and um i had i i made it happen dude that is that's incredible man you wrote that down it's funny i had the same same experience. I wrote down uh, when I was going to leave, uh, I wrote down January 2021. And this is, I don't know when this was, middle of 2020. And this is to the point, I pretty much made my mind I'm going to leave. And I'm a big like goal action person. If I don't write it down, if I don't speak it into existence, it's not going to happen. It's just a thought. So same thing as you. I wrote it down and, and it ended up being the exact same thing as you. It's another thing I didn't know about you, but <laughs> both wrote it down and it both came to fruition. So I, I know one thing we really wanted to touch on, and, and I guess we'll, we'll move to that is, you know, what was, what was your experience in the department that made you realize that, you know what, number, number one, I'm not, you know, I don't want to stay here. You know, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I, I was going through, I was going through some, some personal stuff. I, I always battled self-esteem. Um, so my whole life, uh, thinking back to my childhood, I, I at moments, it was, I don't remember being debilitating, but there are periods of just really low self-esteem, not feeling worthy, not feeling like I fit in, not feeling like I belong here. And um, then I went into the military and it's a very merit-based system. You know, everyone's got shaved heads and I don't, I'm going long story here, but I kind of segue, it makes more sense when I back to the backstory, but. You know, everyone's got shaved heads. You just have your last name in uniform. I remember my drill sergeant saying something to the effect is, I don't care where you're from, who your mommy, who your daddy is, what you look like. You all look the same to me. And whoever's going to have success as a soldier defending this great country is because is they're going to put the work in. And this is really resonating with me. I was always a hardworking kid growing up, but maybe lacked the talent in some things that, you know, yeah. maybe sports or something that I love sports growing up. But if you're not 
you know, the top 10%, you're not going to be a great player. You got to have talent to play good sports. And um, so even though I was like one of the first ones to practice, last ones to leave, really put the work in, you know, it never came to fruition the way I wanted it to. So going to the military and having that affirmation that, man, I go and I'm going to go out. I'm going to be the first one to formation, last one to leave. I'm going to bust this thing. And it took off. I mean, it really I got was able to get promoted quickly multiple times and things really went my way. What, what I learned looking back on it, which I only realized in the last year or so, is that was kind of a mask for the self-esteem that was was there. I never really addressed that. So in my mind now, as an adult in my 20s, I'm having all the success. You know, I finally made it. You know, that stuff's not going to come back. But that's really not what happened is I got into my law enforcement career and was also having a lot of success. Um, you know, things were going well. And I think I was masking the fact that I sometimes struggle with self-esteem. So that's a personal issue to me uh, that I was dealing with that really started to come back up in 2019. And ironically, 2019, um, you know, we went through a lot of changes in our police department. We had a new command staff that came in, a new administration, and they had, uh, you know, different ways of doing things. And um, there was a point where we took a promotional exam. Uh, I didn't do as well as I would have hoped. Um, and I was a detective then. And in June of 2019, it's kind of a funny story. My partner and I were making an arrest for an attempted homicide, two, two co-defendants. Uh, it was like a, a shooting incident at a house. And we finally, after months and months of investigation, we get arrest warrants, we make an arrest. We dropped the male half of this party at the county prison, maybe got there at nine o'clock at night, dropped them off. I went home and slept and uh, came in the next day, maybe 7.38, got a little early, was doing paperwork at my desk. Now, my whole detective career, I, I was fortunate to do a lot of great things and uh, had a lot of success, you know, and it's never about me. It's about the team and everybody we operated with. But I was able to do some things that really, frankly, at my agency was never done before. So I created this undercover unit that we did, was never in existence before. And there was a need for it. Crime was rising. So all these great things. So I kind of, you know, I did. I felt very safe and secure in my position as a detective just because doing things that haven't been done there before. So uh, my supervisor comes in and says, hey, chief wants to see you. I said, oh, okay. Um, and, th and this is a new chief who, who, you know, we've had a personal relationship because um, he was coming from the agency. And I go into his office. Now, what do you think the first thing I'm thinking? Well, I'm walking up the hallway to see the chief. What do you, Brian, what do you think I'm thinking in my head? You're going to get a nice data boy for hunting down those those uh, attempted homicide suspects. Totally, totally. So I walk in there with definitely like a false sense of security Chief asked me to sit down. He's sitting behind a table, the lieutenant sitting next to him. And right away, you know, you know, those, if you've ever been in those. And I'm a guy who's never been in discipline, never been in trouble, never was written up. Um, you know, I think I got in a couple of car accidents as a police officer, like minor stuff, but never, you know, no discipline issues like that. So, so it was kind of new to me, but I knew something was odd. And I sit down and within the first 30 seconds, you know, chief says, hey, we're, I'm going to send you back to patrol. And, um, you know, I think there's a need for you there. And I remember having a tear come down my cheek. First of all, I love being a detective. It was my passion. I love doing it. Second of all, it's not why I was being called in the office. So I totally was called off guard that way emotionally. And, uh, and it was a very, just kind of very frank and direct, not bad, not a negative conversation, just a very direct, we're sending you back to patrol. I think that's where you get out more use for the agency. And I remember actually crying, I have a tear coming out and tell them, if you think that's where I deserve to be, then, then I'll be a good team player. Like I always do. And I'll do it. What happened was when that happened, and, and you know, we can get into all this other factors about it, but what happened was that singular incident, going back to my self-esteem, reopened the self-esteem wounds that were kind of dormant for most of my adult life. And 
I went down quickly, quickly went down a bad rabbit hole um, of, of poor mental health, low self-esteem, not feeling worthy. And Ryan, I know we talked about this before, but this, this is really one of my motivations for what we're doing is identity. This profession, law enforcement is a noble profession. It's a great profession, but it's not who we are. I mean, you're Ryan, I'm Chad, you're a husband, I'm a husband, you're a son, I'm a son, you're a neighbor, I'm a neighbor. Like, and my problem with that is my identity was a detective. I remember walking down the hallway in my head thinking, I started as a patrolman as a, in my 20s. It's an entry-level position. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but then I kind of wanted to keep going the other way. And now going back to patrol, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm a failure. What did I do wrong? Uh, you know, finally, everybody exposed you for the fraud you are. Remember, these are thoughts I've kind of always had from time to time. So, and and I think professional success and accolades kind of masked uh, and, and fed the wolf, but uh, without really ever dealing with the self-esteem part. So my identity was a detective. I'm thinking, I can't tell anybody I'm not a detective anymore. How am I going to live with that? I mean, that's it's embarrassing. My own family's going to be embarrassed about me. So within four months of that, it got to a point where I was just drinking ex extremely heavy for three or four double IPA. I'm not a big drinker. I'm a social drinker, events, you know, happy hour, weddings, something yeah. like that. But I found myself drinking every day, three or four, like double IPAs, uh, starting at 10 in the morning on my off days. I remember being a detective. I was at work Monday through Friday every week. So I felt purposeful, felt valuable. Now on patrol, we work 12 hour shifts. Would you, uh, did you work 12 there? Uh, we were eight. Eight. Okay. So I was doing 12s. We we're, you know, we had, you're there for a longer number of shifts. You work less number of shifts a month. So like random Monday, Tuesdays, Fridays, I'm off. Didn't feel normal. Felt weird. Felt like I'm not being valuable, pur purposeful. So it got to the point in September, 2019. So three months later, four months later, you know, I thought about ending my life. And, uh, you know, I remember the, the, I didn't have a plan in intent. So that was a good thing, but being a peer advocate on our critical incident stress management team, having all this training, I kind of recognized the signs of myself when I sat there and thought my family would be better off without me. Um, yeah, I'd be saving everybody a, a lot of heartache. I, they wouldn't be embarrassed anymore. Like in my mind, I'm thinking all these thoughts are just aren't true, but it's irrational and very logical. But that's kind of where I got to. And luckily it didn't go any further because I recognized immediately. I mean, I remember starting to panic, uh, breathing heavy, sweating profusely. I'm in my bathrobe on my front porch at like noon or 1130 AM on my third beer, second or third beer. And that's when I realized, like, I need help. I need help now. So I remember cold calling, you know, Googling a therapist, crying, leaving crying voicemails. Please help me. I need help. And, you know, and you said this earlier about being alone. I mean, there, I, I absolutely felt like, and, and I've been fortunate in my life to hopefully have a lot of, I think, have a lot of healthy and functional good relationships because I made an effort to do that. But I felt at that point absolutely alone, isolated. Nobody in the world knows what I'm going through. And it's crazy because it's not true, but nobody in the world knows what I'm going through. Nobody's ever been through going through what I'm going through. I'm so alone. And that's where the hopelessness sets in. The only way out of this is to, to take my life. And luckily, luckily by me, God willing, I, I immediately recognized the signs and started getting the therapy, getting help. But, um, you know, most people think I left because of the 2020 riots because um, I was there in 2020. Um, and uh, that had zero, zero percent. I mean, not one consideration. I have great relationships with people in the street, always was respectful, put a lot of effort into building good relationships. So really the, the, the while it's still multifaceted, my issues were stemming from stuff going inside my own agency, just feeling like, um, you know, my core values are important to me, honesty, integrity, loyalty, selflessness, courage. That's kind of like a blueprint for my life. I think we should all live by values. And 
I started to feel like my values of selflessness and integrity and honor were different from, from where I was working at, unfortunately. And, and I just felt like as I started to get clear minded going through therapy, really now getting back to who Chad is as a person, as a, as a son, as a husband, as a father, I realized that my core values just didn't line up anymore with, with where I was working at. And uh, so many great people that, that still work there. So I love them all. But uh, I just had to make that decision to, to leave and try something new. And I don't know if you're the same way as me, but I really overanalyze things. But once I make that decision, there's no going back. I mean, there were there were times when I was like, you sure you want to do this? We're, we were close family. Sure you want to do this? But in my mind, I knew like once I made that decision and it's in line with my core values, I just I, I felt like a phony or fraud if I would continue to stick it out and grind it out like so many cops do. And I know, you know, so many that they just feel like I have to do it. This is the only option I have. I got to get to 25 years. My wife doesn't work, which I understand. My spouse doesn't work. So I have to do this. Totally get it. I never felt that way. I always I have to believe in what I'm doing. I have to be passionate about it. And if I'm not. And I, I can't look myself in the mirror and be proud of the reflection I'm looking that's looking back at me. I have to do something new. So that that part was actually rather easy. The transition since leaving has been challenging, getting used to being an entrepreneur and a business owner. But uh, the decision itself was pretty simple once I started to get my wits about me. Right. Oh, that, that's an incredible story, man. Thanks, brother. Yeah, so actually the first time I was uh, told that story, you know, out loud, publicly, you know, other than my close wow. friends and family. So, yeah. But I feel like, man, if we're going to make an impact, bro, we have to... We have to start being honest with ourselves. We got to start being honest with each other. And I think that's the part of the criminal justice reform of 2020. You know, I heard a lot of executives that very seasoned in the profession a long time talk about police reform. What do we need to do? There's a lack of training, you know, a lot of things that came out. But what I really never heard is these executives look is coming out in a press conference or publicly saying, hey, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe police leadership is a problem because I come from a school of thought in the military. The leader is responsible for everything, good and bad. So, you know, if things aren't going well. You're the one that I've seen. I've seen leaders get relieved of their position, decorated. Commanders get relieved of their command simply before the act of one of their personnel and, and their and their company did that even they didn't have any relation to. Well, now, you know, you see a lot of chiefs that a lot of executives that point the finger and when things go bad, they want to throw somebody under the bus and blame them. What happened to that personal accountability responsibility? So, there's just there, there, there needs to be a leadership shift in law enforcement. And that's the thing we're not really talking about. It. And I get it. It's hard. It's hard to say I'm the problem. It's hard to say I'm the reason this is going bad. It's hard to say I'm the reason my relationships aren't as strong as they could be. It's, it's, it's hard to say I'm the reason why my people aren't enjoying where they're working at. They're leaving. You know, they're leaving and they're looking at other jobs, which I'm not the only one, by the way, uh, you know, where I used to work at. So we have to figure out in this profession where where we want to go. And once we figure out where we want to go, then we have to be figuring out how can we get there and that requires the honest part and that's the part that's it's tough you know so how about you brother you know i, I think that's i just want to touch on that and that's that's key man you know and it's one thing you know extreme ownership as jocko willink calls it you know and um yeah it is so hard to look at a situation and take your part in it and admit to your part and open up to okay things are how do how what is my role in the way that things are right now? Yeah. But I will tell you my experience personally adopting that, you're in just for the better when you do that. Everything around you changes. Totally right. You know, I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you know, I because I, I I really I think my you know everything that happened to me happened for me. It didn't happen to me. I'm meant to be where I am. 
but I definitely say if I knew if I knew what I know about leadership now, when I was a police officer, I think my entire career would have been different. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. And, but, you know, it, it's not and and ultimately, you know, by the time I started learning about leadership and accepting extreme ownership and realizing what I could do to be the change in my agency, my mindset was already far beyond staying with the police department. I already had my mind set on, um, on bigger goals. Yeah. It and makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, thankful, thankfully, you, you know, you've, you know, you've got a hell of a story there. I feel like I can't even live up to, to that oh, story, you know, man, but, that's now. but you a great story. You, you, know, about I, you know, I, I, I'm one, I internalize things, you know, I don't, I'm not really one that's going to, um, you know, I think it's like a lot of police officers. We don't talk about it. We don't want to tell other people about it, especially, you know, where's where the problem fixes. We're not supposed to have problems. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be sh to show up and deal with everything that, that we get sent to, to deal with. Yeah. And we're just supposed to walk away unchanged and continue about our day with a smile on our face. And, you, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that. So, you know, my, my challenge was, I think it was, it was twofold, you know, it was, you know, one part of it was the things that you experience on the job. I mean, the, the, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, you're going to experience things that, that the regular person will never experience in their lives. And if they do, they might experience one of those things, you know, once in a while, but the things that we're exposed to on a regular basis mm -hmm. that we have to deal with, you know, and there's, they don't teach us how to process that. They don't deal with it. And, you know, one of my last, you know, kind of, I guess you could call it a critical incident that I remember. And it was a, um, a woman who had who shot herself in the head hmm. and I was, I wasn't far away. I was the first one there. And I know, you know, going in, my number one concern is, all right, there's a gun involved. Is this, am I safe? My safety, you know, is someone shooting at me? What's the real situation, you know, and going in secure, making sure the scene was safe, securing the firearm, switching to first aid mode, managing the people, helping get the woman out. I just remember, you know, the, the scene was over. The woman's off to the hospital. And I look and I literally had brain and hair and everything. All and wow, and my up my arms and, and, and all of that stuff. And I remember looking at it and I'm thinking, thinking to myself, like, this should, I feel like this should bother. I'm kind of, you know, it was, it was this, it was a very, very weird feeling out of myself for how I performed. And why doesn't this bother me? It should, but I don't know. It was just a very, very weird, weird feeling. And yeah, it was, uh, excuse me. Wow. Yeah, I will that story. So it's just, those are things that, it's just a career of things like that. And then on the flip side, I remember as a young officer, I was doing a ride along. I wasn't even a uh, patrolman yet. And I had, you know, one of the police officers told me from this job comes from what you deal with out on the street, but it comes from inside of that building. Mm -hmm. And that is, it, it's huge. And it's, it's true. You know, I, we, I worked my career in my agency. We didn't feel like we had, you know, the backing of the upper management, you know, they would, um, they didn't, 
thinking that that you know, their actions spoke otherwise. And I, I don't mean that as a blanket because I had some phenomenal supervisors that I, that you know stood up for us. You know, mostly you know the very very upper top and just a lot of different characters. And yeah. you know, as I learn more and more about well, those are those are our leaders. No wonder why no one is happy here. <laughs> it's true. It's totally- you know, as far as that, you know, that mental health wise, I mean, I, I got to a point where it was tough for me to, to function. It was tough for me to go to work. I would come home and just sit like a zombie, just sit and stare. And all that would be going through my mind is, you know, what is wrong with me? What is, why do I feel like this? What is wrong with me? I have everything in the world. I have a beautiful, beautiful wife and, and kids. I have a home. We're all healthy. Why am I feeling like this? And I would dread going to work. I'd go to work. I'd sit in my car. I'd sit in my police car out there. I'd find a place to hide where I would hope no one would find me and just sit. I would. And it was so ironic because I would hope that I would not get sent to any calls. Hmm. However, when I did get sent to calls, it would snap me out of that because I'd go into work mode and I'd be, you know, your mind would be out of that black hole that you were letting it go and you'd be back into work mode. And then like after that, you just go back to, sitting and staring and what's wrong with me and right the scary part is you know and thinking about this is you know every once in a while one of you one of your brother officers would see you sitting there and they'd pull up alongside you to chat and see what you were up to or whatever and you'd sit there and talk to them like nothing was wrong you'd bullshit you'd you know bitch about the department a little bit chat about what was going on this that and the other thing you would never even think of talking about what was really going on in your mind at that moment and you wonder how many other cops is there. And even when their friends pull up, they're not even going to tell their friends. Right. Oh, my gosh. So what, what do you think it is about that? Like, I mean, I have my thoughts on it, but what do you think? Why do you think the profession is so lacking in that? Where most of us are struggling with something or another, or we will at some point in our career, yet nobody says anything. What, what's your thoughts on why that is? I mean, from, from the very beginning, we're, we're, stuff you know they they I, I mean i bet you half of the stuff that i they taught us in the police academy i probably never learned i never used out on the on the road you know this it's you know it's state mandated stuff that people that don't even go out on the road mm-hmm. are saying you need to learn this to be a police officer right and ultimately no one cares about you they care about you as the soldier going out and answering calls so you know true. there's not there's not that there's not that belief of caring for the actual person. I mean, I, th- I think it's common in a lot of companies too. You know, it's like you're you're a cog in the wheel. You know, we're answering 911 calls. We're dealing with the stuff out on the street and cleaning it up. And we go home at the end of the day. Yeah. And ultimately, when we leave at the end of, you work a 32-year career and you leave, the next day they don't even remember your name. <laughs> Bro, I know. I, I, I'm like, so, uh, I was there 13 years and it's like, you know, they, the, everybody moves on. Nobody reaches out anymore. They just ignore you. And it's, that's probably for everybody. So, uh, yeah, you're right about that. You could go on vacation for a week and they forget, <laughs> forget you existed. You yeah. know, they're just happy to have the, you know, and not to mention, I mean, with, with seniority, you know, guys, let's see you go. Right. Right. They get a better shift bid, might get them off of nights. They get your specialty position. If you have one, you know, they're, they're ready to see you go. They hope you go. Dude, you are hitting on something that is so, and I was talking about this today, 
with, with a captain of a police department. Um, there are only so many positions to go around, detective, traffic unit, sergeants, promotion, and it, it creates nothing but once a year, there's some sort of angling or infighting or scheming or scamming. It's, it's brutal. I mean, it's absolutely brutal that most agencies have that. I mean, it's just, I never got that. I feel like if you work hard and you have the goods, that's going to take you where you want to go. But then we could talk about the good old boy system and other things that, you know, law enforcement, I think still exists and is still kind of very prevalent um, to, to, you know, people having their ideas, how they should fill or staff their agency. But I think that infighting part is just created from the lack of opportunities and people wanting better schedules. I mean, law enforcement is a tough job. Then you're working patrol, you're working nights and weekends, you're swinging your shifts. And then you see a detective or a traffic unit, steady days. Everybody wants it, regardless if you want to do traffic or not, you want that job because it's better for your family, your personal life, which makes complete sense. Um, but then it just creates a lot of infighting and, and breeds contentment and resentment. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a tough thing in the profession. So do, do you still talk to cops? I mean, you still have people, not only you worked with, but people that you started networking with since you're not law enforcement anymore that reach out, ask for advice or guidance or things like that? So I actually, I had, it was probably about two or three weeks ago where over the course of 10 days, I had four police officers reach out to me asking various questions about leaving. Wow. Going into, you know, for various reasons and going into different industries and it ranged from, you know, what are the options with the pension to, you know, what do you think about this and what did you do? How about you? Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I mean, almost daily, definitely weekly. Um, you know, people I used to work with all the agency that want to leave other agencies, neighbor in my agency want to leave that reach out to me. It's something about leaving the job that people feel more comfortable talking because, it's, I mean, what I've experienced is like, hey, I think there's a lot of cops that want to leave, a lot, um, but not many do. And then so when there is somebody that leaves, it's like, hey, they did it. Let me reach out and find out, hey, what's going on, bro? What, what was your mindset? What was your thoughts? What happened? This and that. So it's kind of cool. And, I, and, and, and unintentionally being some sort of like big brother to some of these guys that want to go. And, and it, it, it's, it's crazy how consistent the reasons are why people want to leave. It's a little bit to do with, um, the resentment from the community. It's a lot to do with the trauma that you talked touch about earlier. I mean, the things that police officers see, it's not normal. Uh, we don't address the mental health aspect in the profession, not nearly enough. I mean, we tell people we, we, our health insurance providers reimburse guys who go to the gym. They're like, Ugh. so they got big guns, you know, all tatted up. Damn great. But we don't do anything for this. And it's, it's, it blows my mind how we don't do that considering all the negative things we see. So that's a big factor. But the overwhelming majority is the, the dysfunction, the poor culture, the toxicity, the bad morale yes. in their agency. It blows my mind how more leaders are not trying to address this. It's almost like they don't care or to it properly, properly address it. I'm going to have to have egg on my face, too. And nobody wants that. You know, it's, right. It takes a lot. It takes a strong person to admit that I'm not doing as good a job as I think I can do. Yeah, there are a couple of things that that I you know, we see we see the things about the officers killed in the line of duty all the time. See their stats. And I realized that age wise, I was getting into that uh, heavy portion being right around 40 years old and time on the job in that, you know, 14 year mark. This is the time that officers most frequently, the, the most common age and and uh, time on the job that yeah. they get killed. And I started to notice things myself and that was 
you, you're everything gets so routine in what you do. I started to notice a complacency. Oh yeah. And I started, you, you know, there was one time I, it was, it was a, you know, your regular unknown, you know, it was on a commuting time, busy road, person was speeding. I walked up, I talked to her. It was no big deal. Give her the talk about, okay, just try and keep your speed down. Go back to my car. I realized I never even turned on my portable radio. Wow. Wow. And I said, what if it wasn't home from work? What if it was a bad guy that just robbed a store or something and he shot me? Mm. Wow. I realized my radio wasn't even on. You know, and I, I realized, I said, you're starting to get complacent. You get out of here before you get killed. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, someone, someone said to me that, you know, I said something about, you know, couldn't wait till I could retire. And someone said, you know, don't waste away the next 20 years of your life. And that really, I said, is this how I want to live for the next, you know, it was at that point, you know, about, uh, it was probably close to 15, 20 years of my life. I said, I can't do that. I can't live like this for that long. Wow. Wow. I I applaud your, your courage to, to, make that change. I mean, how many cops, you know, I know many, I'm sure you know many that, that refuse to be that self-aware. They just want to collect the paycheck. They want to build their pension. Who cares about quality of life? You know, I'm building money uh, and building, you know, uh, security. Uh, Not that that's not important, but I feel too much emphasis is placed on everything, but your, your mental health. So it's, it's definitely, there's a huge mindset shift that has to happen Yeah, because I was there. So, you know, I'd be going in for, you know, I'd work from seven in the morning to 11 at night, go home, catch a couple hours sleep, be back for seven in the morning again, because of, all right, make money, work overtime, blah, blah, blah. That's what we do. And I just, I actually told myself, say, this is the life you smile and take it. It's the life you chose. And then I realized that, you know what? No, this is, it doesn't have to be this way. I, I can. Now that you're, now that you're, what is it that you do? Uh, so we, we have a private investigation firm now, and um, we do the core part of our business is pre-employment background screening for municipal managers, police chiefs, finance directors. So people that work in local government uh, really trying to move that into the private industry, too, because I think there's just as much of a need, if not more, to, to properly thorough and screen candidates. But um, yeah, so that, that's what we do for our business. But the, the cool thing about like, being an entrepreneur and running a company is I have so much more say in my future, so much more control. Um, you know, being in law enforcement, I know many people are watching this are going to relate to opportunity is based on timing. It's based on politics. It's based on merit. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not that you just work hard and you're going to get promoted. It doesn't happen in law enforcement. You have to work hard uh, and have success. And there has to be an opening. And all the political climates have to line up. You know, maybe you have somebody really advocating for you up top. Well, that's going to help you as opposed to the other way. It's not going to help you. Um, so I know a lot of cops watch this and like, man, I want to have more control or say in my career. That was something that was important to me. So while the fulfillment from what I'm doing professionally now is, is great, it's also a huge part of being an entrepreneur. And I know you can relate to this is, um, you know, having much more control of where I want to go, you know, direction. Um, I feel like a lot of people in law enforcement, you know, many like I do that if you boil it down, you know, take away their pension and their accolades, uh, you know, they don't have a strong drive or work ethic, you know, and they kind of, they kind of rest behind the, the pay every two weeks, the, yeah. the security, it's hard to fire a cop unless you commit a, a homicide or something. So 
Uh, where in the private sector, you cannot be lazy. You cannot be half in. You cannot be uh, always focused on what's best for you. And you're not, you don't have good relationships in your life because you're a taker. You're a, you're a consumer. You're not a giver. So where business, I feel like all my core values, my personality lines up perfectly. And I'm already making so many relationships with people. And, and that's leading to not only revenue and, and profits, but also success and building great relationships. So I, I love every bit of it. How about you? Absolutely. So, you know, I kind of fell into, I guess, like, a, uh, say, a side hustle while I was in the police department. I started working in the financial services industry. And that's really what propelled me to move on and, and uh, move out is, you know, at first I thought there was nothing else I could do. So I learned there was something else I could do. And then it got to the point where it's like, you know what, I really, I enjoy doing this more than I enjoy going to work. I go to go home to, to work on my, uh, on my, uh, my other job. Why don't, why don't I transition that over? So what I do now is I like, I work with police officers and firefighters and other first responders. Number one thing I like to do is help them identify and then conquer their biggest financial challenges. That would include, you know, making sure teaching them and helping them make a plan to live off of their so that all of their overtime money is extra. Because like we mentioned, the common thing that we hear from people, they won't leave the job is because of that paycheck. Yeah, totally. Because of that pension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I did personally, what I did to get out of the job is, you know, using what I had learned in working in and personal finance, I adapted to my own life. I was able to save up enough money so that I didn't have to worry about the time. I had enough saved up that I could go out on my own and I didn't have to worry. I knew that was there. And just having that option, even when I was still in the job, having that option and not having finances be a stressor in my life was a huge relief. It, it took that stress off the table. I knew that I had extra. Suddenly I was no longer, because one concern is, especially nowadays, it's like, oh, if I, if I get fired, could I, am I going to get fired for this? Am I going to get fired for that? Is a, you know, what, you know, cell phone videos and everything, leadership being afraid they'll, you know, that I didn't have to worry about that anymore. You know what? I can go out. I don't have to worry about protecting myself out on the street. Yeah. I don't have to worry because I have a backup plan. I have a backup money. So I like to help first responders build that, eliminate, eliminate the financial stress and then put them, if they are in a position where they're not fulfilled with work, they can't stand it, it's affecting them, whether it's physically, mentally affecting their home, put them in a position that they can leave. Oh, that's great, man. Help them through my, through my network and through what we want to do together, show them that there is a way to get out, show them that. And help them get financially stable to be able to do that. Wow. And for some people, it's just, you know, they may love the job. They may love to stay. And honestly, I think you, you and I are on the same page. We want to encourage that and, te and teach people and encourage people to through extreme ownership and, and developing leadership within the agency to do that. For sure. But also put them in a position that when they retire, or they can retire, they might want to retire early. They don't have to stay the whole time. They don't feel like they have to stay to make the overtime money. But when they're ready to leave, they financially, they can step away. Yeah. Oh, totally. With, 
And I, I, dude, I think it's awesome what you're doing because the financial part of law enforcement and supporting police officers and making these great decisions. So they're set up in the future. I mean, I, I didn't really grow up that way. I grew up definitely low income. Um, and, and, you know, the, that I never had that level of training growing up of, of saving for the future. And so the fact that, and so I know I'm not alone in that. And I, it's the fact that you're doing that now for first responders is, is incredible. How was your wife with, when you were talking, you know, thinking about leaving and contemplating how, how was, you know, how was she handling all that? So she was iffy, you know, I guess, um, hesitant before, before I told her, I had the plan all up in my head. I had the numbers. I had the numbers planned out and everything. And when I was able to tell her, I can go over an entire year, not make a penny. We're not going to run out of money and resources. And if I do go that long and don't make any money, then I just got to go department, go back to law enforcement because I wasn't meant for entrepreneurial world anyway. (laughs) And I think, you know, one thing I will say is that especially for, for any significant others out there, wives or husbands whose spouse, you know, has kicked the idea around and is not happy in the job. I think now that I've been out for, you know, a, a year plus, my wife would, would, you know, the way I am now and how much I've changed since I have left, she'd take that more than, uh, she'd take a, 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 a reduction in finances and money and have me the way I am now any day of the week. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that is, if that doesn't speak volumes about the law enforcement profession right now, you know, and again, it's a noble profession. It's needed profession. I mean, we need the best of the best to do it. So I don't think you and me are ever contemplating or, or trashing the profession, but it just goes to all. show you how damaging it is to people's quality of life. It just is. It's a fact. Yeah, yeah de- definitely. I mean, there's there's days where I, I look at stuff and yeah, there's days that, you know, I, I wish I was still in that position to be that person that's, you know, I loved to be that person that responded to chaos and mm-hmm. brought the calm back to it. Yeah, I just I, I loved being in that position. And yeah, there's, there's some sometimes I miss it. Um, I miss that, you know, that feeling of being the person that arrives, that person that was. It was the, to be the first one there to be able to handle that type of situation. It was, you know, all the aftermath of after that and whether it's criticism from leadership or courts or paperwork and, you know, all of that stuff, that's what just, that's what the, where the pressure comes from and, and drives people away. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that's why you and me are doing what we can do along with other people that have left the profession doing what they can do to be an ally for, for other first responders, other police officers that we both know are out there right now, thousands of them thinking about they're miserable, they're not happy, they want to leave, they feel like they're trapped. I mean, I, I can come up with 10 names right now that I talk to daily, um, so that are police officers in this area where I live in. So if they're out there and we have to help set up a course for them. See, all the things I was afraid of leaving, I mean, almost 100%, maybe 99%, all the fears I had were just that they were just fears, just insecurities. Nothing, none of them ever came to be true. You know, like, Oh, I don't have what it takes. Uh, you know, I had somebody in my, at, at where I used to work at tell me, well, you're not going to make as much money as you make here. Uh, that was not true. Uh, you know, it's, it's a cruel world out there. I got to tell you, I've met more generous and kind uh, uh, business people or at least just as much as, as brothers I had in law enforcement. Um, Cause we know there's great relationships in law enforcement. Some of my best friends are cops, 
but you know, there's also a segment of people that, that, uh, you know, like any other profession that, you know, they're, they're kind of always being the antagonist or always trying to drive wedges in the relationships or they're not there for the right reason. So, um, all those things are all just, they're just lies that were told to me. Uh, and I had nothing else to challenge that other than I had to actually go through the process and learn for myself, which I learned they're all wrong. <laughs> so it can be done. It can be done. So, so those officers that you, that you mentioned, you know, those, those ones, you know, they're, they're just, they want to leave. They don't know what to, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what they do. What would you be, what would your advice be to them? So I just talked to an officer yesterday about this and I said, I, we're doing a core value thing. I said, what are your core values? And then we're talking about it and uh, you know, and I forget exactly, you know, specifically which ones were, were his, but uh, in correlation to mine, as far as like duty, uh, selflessness, courage, integrity, respect, uh, those are things that, that guide me. So we're going through his and, and I said, use that as a blueprint, as a guide, you know, if you're not happy, think about your values and what means the most to you. Like when you look at your reflection, looking in the mirror, what means the most to that reflection looking back at you? If where you're at now doesn't align with that, I can tell you it's probably not going to work out unless there's a seismic shift, a command sh shift, a, a new administration. If culture doesn't change, you know, your feelings are going to stay the same. So you can gut that out. You know, nobody can tell you what to do, but, but you. Or you could try to find something that is in line with your values and also improve your quality of life. So, you know, talking to him about this yesterday, it kind of made sense. He's like, oh, and, and he was earlier down the road. He's, he's a, earlier in the path of contemplating leaving. He's not happy. But, um, you know, and this is somebody that I didn't even know in law enforcement. Uh, you know, I knew of him, but he reached out to me after I left because he felt more comfortable. And, and I feel like that is a huge problem right now is guys don't feel like they can go to their administrations and ask general advice. I didn't feel that way. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What are your thoughts? I felt like it would always be, you know, uh, and I know a lot of officers like that. It, it wouldn't be true, honorable advice. It would be skewed or given with a certain motivation and, and not in my best interest. So I know a lot of cops feel that way. So that's what we have to do. You and me and everyone else is help these guys, give them unbiased advice, objective advice about our experience and what we did and what they think they should do. But, you know, at the end of the day, they have to walk that road themselves. You know, they have to yep. make their decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, how about you? Any, any thoughts, uh, you know, how you could help them or what you would say to them? Oh, it's, you know, number, number one is, and I love the thing about core values, you know, your core values have to guide you. And that's, you know, when you're leading your family, when you're at work and everything that you do in life, yeah, you got to have some core values to guide you so that, you know, you can tell the difference between right and wrong. And if it aligns with what you want and how you want to live your life. So, you know, I, I loved how you touch, touched on that. And, you know, I just say you know, number number one is again, we're not encouraging anyone to leave. It's an honorable profession. It's an awesome profession. It just needs a lot of things need to change. And the first thing I would say is when you go to work, start acting like you're a leader. Start adopt extreme ownership. I know it got, it got very easy for me and my agency and I you know, we, we sit around and we complain, we complain about this, complain about that. See where you can take action rather than complaining. Start, see how you can take action. Start acting like you're a leader in your department, start bringing positivity in and guys are going to look at you weird and they're going to start making fun of you. But that's because you're going against the grain. If you want things to change and you want to be that change and grow that change, then start it. 
bring your core values, develop your own core values and bring those into the department, start acting like that. That's one thing I wish I knew and I had started doing long before I started wanting to leave. I wish I took that ownership in my attitude and how I acted around other people at work rather than being that complainer, rather than being the, the big loudmouth negative person. I wish I had started to develop myself as, as a leader to myself and a, and a peer leader. Totally. Number two, if you really are done, if you are already done, if you've already made up your mind that you're going to leave, start making a plan and start taking action. You say, what am I going to do? You have to take, you can't just sit and wallow. You have to take action. You're going to decide you're going to take action. Make your plan. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? What's it going to take? What do I need to save? What do I need to have for savings to be able to survive? Support my family, support myself mm -hmm. during this transition. Make that plan, set a time, and make it happen. Totally. Uh, you're after, actually, when you're talking about this, so, you know, when I was in the Army, they, uh, we'd have, a, a, we have our dog tags, and one of them would be a, a core value. So, a lot of my personal core values are ones I adopted from the military because I, I gravitated them so much. So when I left the military, um, I had this one personally made for me as a way to never stray from who I am and who I believe I want to be. And so one dog tag is my family. It has everyone in my family, my media family names on it. And then the other one has courage, honor, integrity, duty, and selflessness. So I just say this because we're talking about core values. I mean, I, I carry this with me around my neck every single day. I'm 40 years old, I'll be 41 next month. And I've done it since I got out of the military at 26 or 25. So I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. And, and dude, I'd look at these probably something when something happens and I catch a glimpse of the mirror, maybe I got my shirt all here ready to get in the shower. I'll kind of look at it and reflect for the, like where I'm at now in life and check in with my feelings and my thoughts. And like, am I doing this? Am I living by this? And there's been times I haven't been, you know, and, and getting back to your point of we're human beings and, there's going to be cops that the goal was to have them do 25 years. I would love that. I mean, honestly, that is what I tell guys when I talk to them. I want you to make it to the end. I want you to leave at 25 years feeling just as fulfilled and rewarded as when you did on that on, on day one. But to do that, it's not, it doesn't come easy and it doesn't come cheap and it doesn't come free. You got to put work in. You got to be mindful. You got to work your mind just as well as your body. Uh, you got to incorporate, you know, gratitude exercises, yoga, whatever you got to do to get yourself to so just as positive and grateful in year 25 as year one. But have something that you fall back on that, you know, for me, it's my dog tags and I look, I still carry it with me. Um, me, it's my, also my wife and the strong relationship I have with my wife. And, and I know you're the same way, but how many brothers or sisters do we know that don't have a spouse at home or, or maybe they've gone through a divorce or maybe they, you know, were in some sort of affair and didn't live as honorably as they could have been, which caused them to get divorced. And now their personal life's a turmoil. Like there's so many things that we can do as individuals to help maximize our personal life and our professional life. And that's what I hope we can help accomplish with, you know, with this, with these interviews we do, these chats. Absolutely. So one, one thing that definitely started changing my life was starting to really get involved in personal development. And read just as, as simple as reading books. Well, let me, let me throw it out there. What would, what's one, I always like to do this on uh, on talks like this. What would be your number one book recommendation for people out there? A uh, good one for me is uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Um, I don't know if you've read that one. Um, 
Victor Frankel uh, was in Auschwitz concentration camp, World War II. He's a psychologist or psychiatrist by trade, by profession. So he had the understanding of how the, the human brain works when he's in not only a concentration camp, but the worst one in Auschwitz. I mean, not that they're all bad, but uh, and his book, Man's Search for Meaning, takes you through his journey, his experiences being in a concentration camp, the brutality and the horror. Of, I mean, nobody in this modern day has lived through what he lived through. Uh, we've all have traumatic things in our lives, but not to that degree. And Victor maintained a effervescent, positive spirit, a, a grateful mindset. And the whole book is about this grateful first responders actually got recommended to me by a, uh, a fight military fighter pilot who was on top of his game, got hurt. They, they took his wings from him, uh, medically discharged him. And then he went down the hill and, uh, you know, almost, almost killed himself. I mean, uh, almost committed suicide. And he recommended this book to me as a way uh, that helped me in 2019 to, to really come to grips with, because Victor's big thing is when you are, and this is a quote from his book and I'm paraphrasing, but when you are unable to change the situation around you, you are only forced to change yourself. And it really resonated with me because I, there were a lot of things I was upset or frustrated by, resentful, angry, depressed, sad, going on around me, but I had only control of my thoughts, my behaviors, my actions, really resonated with me. It really pulled me out. And uh, I just recommended this book on Monday to somebody because they're going through a tough time. And so I'm going to give it to them this week, but that that's probably my number one book right now for me. That could change next week, but well, yeah. <laughs> how about you? Oh, that's awesome. Actually, I haven't read that to my list. You know, I'm just going to, there's so many great books that I could talk about. So many things that I found in books that have changed my life, the way I think and have, you know, developed me to the point I'm at now. But um, one thing I mentioned a little earlier, and that'd be you know, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Police officers listening to this podcast, it just talk, show you, talks a lot about leadership and how, how to be a great leader. And it might, might show you what is wrong with your police. It might show you are in leadership. I always say, if there's anyone that's going to listen, they're a sergeant, they're a lieutenant, they're a chief, they should read this book. They should read this book. They're going to find something useful in the book. It's absolutely incredible. It can completely change an agency if you adopt these philosophies. I feel like that's another issue of law enforcement. Like we have to help them. You know, you can't just talk about it. You have to do it. And it requires hard work. But the reward and the promise is if you do this and you invest yourself in it, your life will improve your quality of life, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your, your passion for your career. All that will improve if you not only read something, but embody and live it and adapt it in your life. Yeah, if you, if you just read it and you don't act or um, adopt anything or make any changes. Yeah, isn't going to do anything for you. You got to adopt it. So, brother, wrapping up here, man. This is uh, this is our first one. This is gonna be fun, man. This is gonna be a lot of fun. And yeah, this is gonna be. This is all rooted in helping helping first responders, helping cops. Can't 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 do it any better than that. Yep. Whether they want to, whether you want to stay and get better, or you, and and we support you one hundred and ten percent. Totally, totally. Well, until next time, brother. Time's been awesome, dude. Yep. See you, man. See ya.